Have you ever felt like throwing in the towel? Just quitting? Just, I'm done. Any, any, anybody, have you ever said, I'm fried, I'm tapped out? I just don't know if I can go on any longer. I've hit this wall for the 50th time and I'm done. Any, anybody ever been there? And, and, and something inside of you starts to make a resolve that I got to change. But if we're not careful, we try to manufacture the change in our own strength. Man, I got to change. Something's got to give. I've got to do something differently. Nick and I were talking the other day, and he was telling me the song you just heard playing by the verb called Beautiful, a Bittersweet Symphony. It says, because it's a bittersweet symphony, this life. Try to make ends meet. Try to find some money. Then you die. I'll take you down the only road I've ever been down. You know, the one that takes you to the places where all things meet. Yeah, no change. I can't change, I can't change, I can't change, but I'm here in my mold. I am here in my mold. I'm a million different people from one day to the next. I can't change my mold. No, no, no. Well, I never pray, but tonight I'm on my knees. Yeah, I need to hear some sounds that recognize the pain in me. But yeah, no change. I can't change, I can't change, I can't change. You ever been there where you feel like, man, I just don't know what to do? I, 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 I need to change, but I don't know how to change. I'm not even sure I really do want to change. And if I did change, what would change look like? And if we're not careful, each and every one of us can get stuck in that rut, in that pattern. And it's a fatiguing place to be. Then we start to kind of move toward, okay, I, I do need to change, but I don't know if I'm totally ready to change. I don't even really know what change would totally look like. If I'm going to change, I think I need to write the prescription for my change. Come on. Yeah. I remember John Smoltz, he was telling me when he met with my buddy Walt Wiley, who was a former chaplain of the Braves, and Walt was sharing the gospel with John. And John comes out of this Catholic marinade, Roman Catholic, Polish Catholic background, and he laid the gospel out for John. And John said, I looked at him and said, man, I know that's the truth, but I don't want to do it yet, but I want to do it. And he's like, so when are you going to do it? When are you going to surrender to Christ? And he said, uh, maybe, maybe when I'm around 40, when my baseball career is over, maybe then I'll surrender to Christ. And he said, Walt looked at him and said, so what about if you only live until you're 38, then what? And he said, he drove away that day thinking, what if I only lived to 38 and I miss it? So a lot of us, we sit there and we start to think about change. I need some type of change, but we, we want to create it. We want to call it. We want to define it. We want, we want the terms of what change looks like. So we make these resolves to do better and then we jack things up again. And we resolve that we're going to do more, but then we fall back into our old flesh patterns and our flesh patterns continue to arouse the sickness of our soul. And we resolve that, I'll tell you what, I'll give more and I'll serve more, but then we make excuses on why that didn't happen. And then we say, I, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to love more. And then we lose our temper and we blow it and we resolve and then we blow it and we resolve and then we blow it. 
Romans 7, one of my favorite chapters, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I, I know that deep down inside of me, nothing good really dwells. That is in my flesh. For the good I want to do, I don't always end up doing, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. If I'm, the, if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm really no longer the one doing it, but it's the sin that really is deep down inside my soul. Listen, listen, listen. How many of you have ever been there? I really, really deep down inside, I want to do right, but I find myself not honoring God and doing right. The very thing I really don't want to do, I end up running back to it to do it anyway. Man, the sin is so deep inside of me. I'm not trusting God to heal my heart, to lead my life. And Paul basically says, hey, hey guys, I, 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 I'm the problem. The trouble is me. I'm jacked up. I keep tripping. I'm the one messing it up. I can't blame anybody else for what's going on. Reality is I can't get over me. And you know what this sounds like when I read Romans 7? Every one of us. I mean, if you conclude that everybody's jacked up, you make a good conclusion. If you conclude that we're all trying to figure it out, you make a good conclusion. And so we sit here and go, man, when I trust me, I really mess things up. You ever just try to trust you and lean into you? And I, I'm, I'm reading through this going, bittersweet symphony. And we really need to turn our bittersweet symphony more toward Michael Jackson to the man in the mirror, right? I'm starting with a man in the mirror, and I'm asking him to change his ways, and no message could be any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a, come on. And it's like, I want to change, but how do I do it? And when we refuse to trust God and we choose to trust ourselves and we refuse to trust God and we attempt to control our world, we leak into self-deception because we're trying to manipulate, manage everything around us. Yeah, yeah. So it's self-deception, and it starts to kind of control everything in our lives. I'm going to live a life of self-deception. Nobody would ever say that, but when we start to trust us, that's what we're really concluding. Here's an observation. I believe one of the most destructive sins is refusing to trust Jesus as Lord and assuming the role as authority of your life. I, I believe that people would say, well, I mean, I got this bad sin, whether it's sex, alcohol, drugs, lying, cussing, manipulation. The worst sin to me, the most destructive sin that is so prideful is refusing to trust the God that made you and assuming the role of authority and controller in your own journey. Because that pride right there gives birth to all of these other behavioral problems that we find ourselves living out. And when we start to live a life of pride, the cycle of being in control is kind of birthed for us. I want to break this down for you. And I want you to, I want you to think about this for a second in your own journey. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. I know it's a pride issue. I know it's a not trusting God, but it's a trusting me issue. Check this out. The cycle of being in control. When that starts to ha happen, we build up our defenses. 
And what we end up doing is we we will build these walls of self-protection and we conclude this. I'm not going to let you in and I'm not going to let myself out. So I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I've got these defenses that I'm going to put in place right now because I've been bruised and beaten. I've been rejected and betrayed. And so I just want you to know that you're not going to get close to me. So we build these walls of self-protection. And what we end up doing is we are cutting ourselves off from any type of real intimacy with anyone else, but we're preventing anyone else from really loving us. Once we start to build these walls, what's going to happen is this. We start to think these unhealthy self-thoughts. They're lies from hell, but we start to have this twisted, stinking thinking going on inside of us. And so we have no context of word. We have no context of any relationship and uh, real accountability and people in our lives. And our thinking starts going all twisted on us. And we start making assumptions that are inconsistent with reality. And we make assumptions about God that are not true. But it it all started when I said, I'm not going to trust anybody, including God or others. I'm going to build these walls. I'm moving into self-protection. You're not going to hurt me again. Because I've hurt like hell and I'm not going there anymore. And so we start to function out of our own strength. Then all of a sudden, as we start to live here, we're tempted. We're tempted by our own flesh patterns, and we're tempted by the enemy, and the enemy is going to come and try to seduce us. And once he tempts us, guess what? The only thing I've got to bring to the dance is my own strength. So I run over here to trust my solutions, my agendas, and my strategies. And I'm like, I'm being tempted. How am I going to handle it? I have no strength from God, no strong power. This girl comes forward in the first service. She's been here a few weeks with tears in her eyes. She goes, I needed this today so much. I, 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 I've gone through a divorce, and Satan's been telling me that I need to have some men in my life. I need to have these men to get my needs met. And she goes, I just want to confess it because that's where Satan is luring me right now. But what you end up doing is when you choose and refuse to trust God and you're trusting yourself when you're tempted you've only got your resources to turn to and whatever your solutions and strategies and agendas and game plan is that's all you've got then here's what ends up happening then all of a sudden we jack some things up but we're going to hide our secrets don't miss this we hide our secrets we've messed up but we're not going to let anybody else know what our junk is So we run over into darkness and we hide our secrets. God hates secrets. There's nothing that can be redeemed in your life if you don't come to the light of who God is. As long as I keep it over here as a secret and hide it, I'm not going to heal. I'm not going to move toward restoration. Make sense? And so if we're not careful, we we start to hide. And then you will see people that... After they start to spiral out of control, they'll start to act out. Their behavior's jacked up. And you're like looking at them going, why are they acting the way they are? Because they've got all this unresolved pain deep down inside of their soul. They don't trust. They've got to be in control. And all of a sudden you're going, man, that behavior right there was crazy. But it's an indicator of something deeper that's going on. Yeah. So our behavior becomes all twisted. 
Here's another thing that happens. As soon as the spiral starts to get out of control, we start to withdraw from other people. I've got to withdraw. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to get out here on my own little island because I don't want to be around anybody else. At least if I'm on my own island, I can stay protected from anybody else jacking with me too much. But again, we're left to our own reasoning and our own strength and our own thought processes. And we find ourselves depressed and defeated and lifeless. And then all of a sudden we start to justify our behavior. We do it to ourselves. Well, the reason I I went out and had this affair is because she wasn't meeting my needs. And the reason I went out and did what I did is because uh, of the pain in my life. And as soon as you start to justify your behavior, you will call it, hey, I'm rationalizing. But it's really rational lies that you're telling yourself. Yeah. I I was talking to a guy a few years back and uh, a dude who's out of state. And so I'm talking with this guy, and his wife had reached out to Barb, and uh, we've got this conversation going on. And, 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 and the previous July 4th, he had just gotten stinking hammered, and she was tapped out with it. I mean, he drank so much, he went straight to the bottle, and he, he was so hammered. And she goes, he does this stinking at times, and he, he, don't, he doesn't care how he's destroying himself and destroying our marriage and destroying our family. And, so he goes, I'll be willing to talk to Tim. So we get on the phone one night and we're talking. So, so you jacked it up here recently. Yeah, I jacked it up. So, so uh, tell me your story. When I was five years old, my mom started sexually molesting me. I got you. So your mom started molesting you. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. Yeah, and so when I was 12, my cousin moved to town, this guy, and he began to sexually molest me. He was 16, I was 12. And then he starts telling me other things. And I said, yeah. I said, that's a a painful story. He said, yeah, it's probably one of the most crappiest stories you've ever heard, ain't it? I said, it's a crappy story. I said, you really believe it's the crappiest story on the planet, oh, don't you? He goes, what do you mean? I said, here's what I mean. You, you, You have concluded that your story sucks worse than anybody else's, Right? And so you're able to justify your behavior of being irresponsible by leveraging the pain of your past. That's what you're doing, right? And there's silence. He starts bawling his eyes out. And I just sit there. He goes, Tim, nobody's ever said that to me. I said, said what to you? He said, I've been to Christian counseling. We've been to marriage counseling. We've been here. That's what I've been doing all my life. I've concluded that my story sucks so bad that I can justify my behavior when I act irresponsible. And so medicating and sedating and doing whatever I want to do is okay. I said, but how is that working for you? He said, it's killing me and it's killing everybody around me. And so people start to spiral that way. Is that a painful story? Yes. Is there... In this room right now, painful stories of rejection and betrayal and abuse and neglect. Yes. I'm looking at so many faces that have been hurt. And the enemy wants you to believe that you can control everything that you can hinder in the future. Any more type of deep harm if you would just control your own life. 
And he will allow you to go back to the deepest pain. And if you're not careful, he wants you to use that to leverage it so that you then can start to justify, I'm okay with doing what I'm doing because of. And man, you get there and it's so tough. So we start to blame other people in other circumstances for us being stuck. And when we start to blame, all we're doing is assigning to someone else the wrong and harm where we don't have to take responsibility. People that blame usually have something hidden in themselves. I read this, that blame is often the commentary of unresolved sin in the blamer. See, see, when people start to blame, it's a commentary being spoken of unresolved sin or sin that I haven't dealt with in my own life, whether it was my choices or others against me, I haven't dealt with it, so I will blame because there's something unresolved. It's kind of like the saying that bitterness does more to the vessel in which it is stored than it does to the object on which it's being poured. Bitterness is drinking the poison and wanting the other person to die. There's something deep down inside of me that's going wrong, and it's because I'm not trusting God. It's so I don't do what I really want to do, and sin is still dwelling inside of me. And it leads us to having these deep feelings of guilt and shame. Guilt, my behavior is wrong, and I know what I'm doing wrong, and undoubtedly I am totally bad. God can't change me. Fundamentally, at the core of who I am, something's wrong with me. So we make these inconsistent conclusions about who we are that are not honest about how God sees us, and it leads us to a place of being hopeless. And then we start to lead these lives of loneliness and hopelessness. And so what we do is we just go through life kind of existing and all this pain exists and God is saying, come to me, come to me. Get this, you cannot self-produce sustaining hope in your life. You cannot self-produce sustaining hope. If I'm ever going to experience sustaining hope in my life, I've got to find it in the person of Christ and him alone. I can't produce it. I can't manufacture it. Nobody sitting under my voice today as you focus on who you are and where you're at and experiencing authentic style change, you will never experience lasting change and hope apart from Christ Jesus. When we believe we can control our own world, we become flooded with self-deception. I want to stay on this self-deception stuff for a bit. And self-deception is all about how I can manage and manipulate outcomes in my world. Don't don't, don't miss this. When I start to live a life of self-deception, how can I manage, manipulate, and control my world? When self-deception begins to take deep root, betrayal becomes the pattern of my life. I will live a life of betraying. I will betray because I'm uh, self-protecting. And I'm not necessarily out to hurt everybody else, but I am out to make sure that I can call the shots and keep the steering wheel in my hand. So when you start to live there, you'll see people betraying principles and people And they treat relationships as if they're disposable. Did you hear that? People that are living a life of deep sin and self-deception, relationships become disposable because they're only there for me to use and abuse for my own protection. I'll use you up. 
that I'll spit you out because I've got to stay in control. And, 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 and just like God is a jealous God, so am I jealous. I'm sharing my glory with nobody else. So I, I, I stay there. And people start to justify, again, behavior and actions. And here's what I've seen in the church. Here's what I've seen in the church. People that are living out of self-deception will use spiritual jargon as a smokescreen. They'll, they'll quote a few verses. One of the things that fries me oftentimes with people, listen, 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 church people. Well, you know, I feel like God told me. As soon as a person says, God told me, you know what they're saying? You don't have permission to say anything in response to that. And you see what God told them and you're going, that's inconsistent with the word. And you're seeing what God told them. But they'll use so much spiritual jargon as a smokescreen to try to bluff their way through. Yeah. And when you do that, your lives will stay stagnant and they will stay stale. And you'll live a life of status quo You'll always experience hindered growth in your life. You're not going to go any deeper because I've got this smoke screen in it. It's all about self-deception, and I've got to stay in control of my world. We use manipulation and intimidation to protect and promote our image. We're going to share with you an image. It might not be the real image of the real me, but I'm going to use... Self-deception is deep down inside of my soul. I will promote and share with you an image that I want you to see, but it may be inconsistent with the reality of really who I am. Come on, guys. This leads to living a life of control, blame, and victimization. I will play the victim card like that. I'll drop the victim card like that. And I've seen this happen repeatedly. You're like... You're emotionally unstable. You've been living in stable misery. Your life is flooded with so much self-deception. You've got your spiritual jargon. It's a smokescreen. You sound good for that 30 minutes in conversation. But when you walk away, those 23 and a half other hours are stable misery for you. And brother, we've seen it for years. Our lives will be flooded with hidden sin and secret sin because we're living in self-deception. We'll live a life that's immoral, a life that's carnal, and a life that's defeated. Because you're not going to let God in, you're going to stay in control, and nobody else is getting in. When self-deception starts to really become the driving force, it manifests a bunch of crazy junk. You'll see mood swings. You'll see depression. You'll see substance abuse. Lying. Overspending. Unhealthy attention-seeking, anger, manipulation, gambling, unforgiveness, a reluctancy to repent, gossip, slander. Because betraying people and hurting other people, it doesn't matter because I've got to protect me and promote me. And if I destroy all of y'all around me, I don't care Bam, throw the bomb and leave town. Yes, because I did it in the name of Jesus. And I've seen this so much. And it's unhealthy, sick, self faults and lies. I don't know what God says. I won't believe God's opinion of me. I won't trust who I am in Christ. I will use some of those phrases and cliches. But deep down inside, it's not the... 
It's not the soulistic cry of the true me. And so we spiral. And when I refuse to trust God, my thinking and behavior and everything about me is going to absolutely crush me. The progression of futility is being lived out with people all the time. And Jesus is saying, stop. I love you. Stop that. You're trying to get your needs met apart from me. Stop that. You're using and abusing people. You violated people. You violated principles. Your life is a life of betrayal. Stop. Trust me with all your heart. Quit leaning on your own understanding. It hasn't worked. It's not working. And it's not going to work. Stop. James chapter 1, 13. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings about death. God will never tempt you. Three principles. God never tempts anyone God will allow you to go through tests, and God will allow you to go through uh, purification, and God will allow you to go through certain things to strengthen your faith and strengthen your dependence on him. But every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Satan is the author and perfecter and master of lies. He's going to lie to you, he's going to deceive you, and he's going to do it for me and everybody else. So when I'm being tempted, tempted means enticed to do wrong. God would never, never do that because he's a good, good father. He loves us and he goes, stop it. That's not me. When you're tempted to lie and you're tempted to steal and you're tempted to cheat and you're tempted to live in adultery and use and abuse, God's going, stop that. It's not a me. Second thing would be this. Temptations are used to deceive you. Temptations are born when you're drawn away from God. Here's what I know. Temptations entice and lure me to get away from God. If my focus stays fixed on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, am I still going to go through temptation, test, trials? Yes. But when I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, when I'm going through a turbulent time and I, I look to Jesus, it starts to minimize these less wild attractions that are trying to enter into my zone where's your focus my focus is if it's fixed on the sin if it's fixed on the heightened anticipated pleasure of the sin i'm going to look that way but as soon as i can yes back to what david said i almost jacked it up until i entered into the sanctuary of the lord i got into your presence i got in view of who you are and how you see things third thing would be this Temptations can only lead you astray because of your own desires. Do you get that? Temptation only leads us away because of our own personal desires. We're enticed because something deep down inside of us is still trying to get our needs met apart from Christ. And so we have concluded that whether it's money or whether it's fame or whether it's relationship, no matter what it is, we've concluded the reason I'm enticed to do that is because I believe that Jesus plus this and this and this will satisfy me. That's the reason people run back to the bottle and pills and everything else. I've got a nom. I've got a sedate. I've got a medicate. I mean, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. 
but I need to numb a little bit. Life is too fast-paced for me. Man, I'm starting to get stressed over here, so I need to chill. I need to, I need to run back and hit it a little bit. Jesus plus three glasses of wine every night is what I need. And you find yourself running back to control, and Satan is eating your lunch. So when sin takes root, I become addicted to its pleasure. And listen, 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 listen. The pleasure is destructive. And the pleasure ultimately leads to death. And Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want you to get it. Here's how sin and self-deception works. Number one, whenever I think I'm in control of sin, sin is actually controlling me. I've had people say this over the years. Guys, I'm, I, I am like so wanting you to get the truths of God's word and the principles today. I, I want you to get it. As soon as you say, no, I, I got this under control, brother. No, I, I don't need any help with this one. No, 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 no. I, 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 I got this sin under control. And you know deep down inside it has become a bondage and a stronghold. And you know that Sin is gripping you. Satan wants you to say, hey, 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 I got it. You know why I say I got it? Because I'm living in sin and self-deception. I can't let anybody know I need any help. If I let anybody know that I need help, that, that's a statement of weakness. That's a statement of defeat. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. I need help at times. You need help at times. Number two. The power of sin is not when you act on it. The power of sin is when you give yourself permission to entertain the thought for a period of time. Don't, 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 don't miss it. When I start to pacify my thought life with it, I move from pacifying my thoughts to being fantasizing about it. And before I know it, the sin again is the object of my affection. I'm so focused on it. It's not when I actually act on it. It's when I started giving my uh, myself permission to move toward it. Culturally speaking, culturally speaking, people will say, and we've used this here before, he fell into sin. No, 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 no. Barb fell this week in Dallas. She was walking down a sidewalk, and the sidewalk was uneven, and it raised up, and she tripped, and she busted her eye open and cracked a tooth and some other stuff and had to get stitches while she was out in Texas. She, she fell. She, she fell in Texas. Most of us don't fall. We look at it. We entertain it. We pacify it. We fantasize, and all of a sudden, we move toward it. We don't fall into sin. We willfully just walk into it. You, you, you see, the deal is when I start to say, it's okay for me to linger here. here. Here's another one. The choice is not to act on the temptation. The choice deep down inside is to dishonor God. D did you get this? When we get there, it's, God, I, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. God, I, I know this is wrong. But you can't stop me. I, I, I'm in control. I got to do what I want to do. And there's people that live in such defeat. And it, what you're doing may not lead you to being incarcerated, 
But what it's going to do is lead you to a place where you're living defeated all the stinking time. Am I willing to trust God? Here's another one. Once I choose to hide and try to handle it myself, I will use something or somebody else to satisfy my need. I'm either going to go to a substance, something, a computer screen, whatever, or I'll go to somebody else. I'm hiding, I'm covering, but it's gotten to the, the point now that I've got to use something or somebody to, to meet my need here. And here's the fifth thing. Unresolved sin will always stay buried inside of our lives until we bring it into the light. This is counseling, contemplative, introspective style word today. So once I have sin hidden inside of me and I refuse to bring it to the light, let me tell you what's going to happen. You can't put it in a compartment and it only leaks out in this area. Once it starts to get rooted inside of me, it leaks out in all these other areas. And so where we find ourselves is like, what am I going to do? Now, here's the good news. I want you to get it. The cycle can be broken when you choose to tell the truth and embrace the truth. If you don't tell the truth and embrace the truth, you'll stay in the cycle of confusion and defeat. Now, once I understand how God really sees me and my opinion of me now starts to move to God's opinion of me and I start to tell myself, here's what God says to be true about you and I start to believe what God believes about me and I start to walk in this true identity of who I am in Christ, now listen, then I can learn to confess the sin that I'm intending of committing all right, Lord, I'm confessing the sin that I'm enticed and tempted to commit instead of confessing the sin that I've already done with all the brutal consequences that come with it. Once I start to believe what God believes about me, I'm a child of light, I want to run to the light before I jack it up, even when I'm being enticed with it to say, I want to confess this right now. I want to confess it on the front side because I don't want to run to the southern argument of saying, well, I can do whatever I want to. God will forgive me. That's such jacked up stinking theology. Well, I know God hates divorce, but he's going to forgive me. I know it was wrong that we went out and got hammered last night, but God's going to forgive me. What Bible are you reading out of and what God are you serving? I mean, where does that come from? That's reckless. That's bad theology. So, so once I start to believe God's for me, I can tell him where I'm being tempted. And then the second thing is this. When I tell someone else that I know that I'm weak, that I'm vulnerable, it starts to disarm the power of whatever that is. So I can tell another brother or sister, brother from me, brother to brother, here's where I'm struggling. I can tell Barb, Barb, here's an area where I'm weak. So as soon as I start to tell someone, hey, here's where I'm hurting, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm vulnerable, that's the reason our recovery class on Thursday night is so crucial because you can get in there and do life with each other. That's the reason our crossed-up ministry of being able to sit down with Richard and what we're trying to build here is so crucial. It, It is. That's the reason getting in a small group and doing life with others it's not that you go in every week and stink and vomit on everybody, but you find a couple of relationships where you can do life with them. Yeah. 
Because here's, here, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. All right. Trevor loves me. I love Trevor. Trevor has shared his testimony here with us. Trevor has shared some of the struggles he had in the past with us when he's openly shared his testimony. So, Trevor, Trevor and Brittany just got back from Indiana. And if you look at Trevor with his right hand, he's got a stinking wrap and all this stuff on his hand right now. He's riding a bicycle and he was going too fast and hit gravel. And he's like, man, I got strawberries all down here and all down here. And he's pretty jacked up, okay? But we know his story because he has shared it with all of you guys. So this morning, I know and you know that he struggled with pills. Well, when he had the wreck, guess what the prescription they gave him was? To try to minimize the pain. So he wanted me to know, hey, they gave me some pills. I took them Friday and Saturday, but I flushed them. I just want you to know I don't have them, but I want to be transparent with you. What he told me is, hey, 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 Listen, Tim, you love me, and I'm going to let you love me at the deepest level of some of my struggle, so I'm not going to hide and withhold anything from you. you. You see, you can't let others love you at the deepest level if you don't disclose with those closest to you what you battle. Does that make sense? So you've shared this publicly, and it's like, good for you. See, I've shared with you about Ivan and Peter, the two Polish peasants. And Ivan and Peter were in a tavern just drowning themselves, just getting sloshed and hammered. And Ivan looks at Peter and says, Peter, I love you. Peter says, Ivan, what hurts me? Ivan's like, how in the hell do I know what hurts you? And Peter says, don't tell me you love me. Until you know what hurts me. You see, when we start to believe who we are in Christ and we start to move into the deeper gospel of who we are in Christ, I can tell you what hurts me because I know you love me. But if I don't ever let anybody know what hurts me and where my temptations and weaknesses are, I'm not going to move toward healing. James chapter 5 Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to be healed. I want to experience the healing of Christ. Hey, pray for me. Pray for you. But there's no confession. Oh, 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 oh. Y'all pray for me. I'm going through a tough time. What does that mean? Pray for me. I'm about to go to Arizona for a week. I'm going to be on a plane. I'm going to be tempted at times. I, I'm going to be rooming by myself. I really don't like being just by me anymore. And I start to break down some of the stuff I'm going to be around. Now, I've itemized what I am about to do and where I'm about to go and some of the people I might be with. And then I say, would you pray for me? Now, I've itemized specifically and confessed what I'm going through. You go, I'll pray for you. So that you might be healed. But if we don't itemize our confession, are we really going to experience healing? It's when we honor junk, bring it to the light and go, yeah. Confession. I'm, I'm willing to say what God says. Here's four simple things. 
Confession allows me to reach out and touch Jesus. When I confess, I'm able to reach out and touch Jesus. And what I'm concluding is the finished work of the atoning sacrifice of Calvary can cleanse me and heal me. I don't have the resources. I can't manufacture self-effort to bring about healing. So when I confess, I'm grabbing a hold of Jesus. Yes. Two, when I confess, it allows me to heal by letting others into my life because they love me. They're for me. And love is one of God's primary healing agents. Hey, here's where I'm struggling. Thank you. Proud of you. I love you. Three, confession reminds me that I'm a child of the light. And because of this truth, I can risk living in the light. When I confess, I'm reminding myself that I belong to God and God has called me to walk in the light as he is in the light. So that I can have fellowship with him and one another. So when I'm walking in the light, yeah, I'm able to confess freely. I don't have anything to hide. We're not going to hide. We're not going to dog each other. We're going to pray for each other because God wants us to bring about healing. Here's another one. A confession is powerful because it allows at the deepest part of your life incredible release and healing to take place in this area. About three years ago, I had a guy sit down with me. This guy had been sick. He had battled anxiety. He had battled depression. He had battled physical illness. He had had multiple surgeries. The guy was jacked up. He was constantly sick and constantly feeling diseased by certain things. He sits down in my office, confesses to sexual sin, confesses to bondage stuff that was going on in his life. Can I tell you something? The dude has not had panic attacks. The dude hadn't had any more stinking surgeries. Because when this root of bitterness starts to take place in your life, it will manifest itself in multiple ways. Now, I'm not going to swing out on the branch and say that if you're physically sick, it's because you've got sin in your life. My theology won't get me there. But some people, their physical sickness is a direct result of having sin in their life. It's not a blanket statement. Some people get sick that are healthy. Some people get sick that are sick in their soul. But this dude, once he confessed it, it was almost like... His body relaxed. And I've seen that happen. There's a book called None of These Diseases. Now, let me wrap it. Let me wrap it. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the good I want to do, I don't always do. And I end up practicing at times the evil I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it. But it's the sin that I'm hiding and covering inside of me that's still leaking itself out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me and set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God's given us the spirit that we can now call him Abba Father. Yes, we know that all things work together now for the good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose because he's a good, good father. We know that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And nothing will ever separate me from his love because I'm now in Christ. Who will set me free? Christ will. Who will deliver me? Christ will. Who will lead me? Christ. The hope of the gospel. So this is the little thing I wrote a couple years ago, but confused again, what shall I do? Am I still the same or have I really been made new? The battle is on. It's too much for me. Should I satisfy my cravings or should I try and flee? The tension is real. I think I'm losing again. Is this really normal for all other men? I'll act really good. Yeah, behave really well. I'll appear to be godly. Others can't tell. They're playing the game, wearing the same mask. Being real is too difficult. It's an impossible task. Is anybody winning in this inner tug of war? What is the secret? Should I ever long for more? Hope has arrived. Jesus is his name. He's the only one that ever conquered this game. Let him live his life in and through you. Quit trying, start trusting, and he will see you through. Embrace his love. Rest in his grace. His power is the secret in running this race. Yeah. So God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. I'm not even going to spend any time in explanation, but I want, to, I want to read one of my favorite Psalms to you in closing. A part of it. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. The best thing you'll ever do is trust in the Lord. Press into the Lord. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate being faithful, farming term, agriculture term. Uh, cultivate being faithful, honoring, obeying God. That's good. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of my heart start to become the desires that God wants in my heart because I'm trusting in him and cultivating faithfulness. And before I know it, he starts giving me the desires of my heart because my heart is aligned to what he wants. Commit your way to the Lord. Trusting him. Rest in him. Wait patiently on him. I mean, I love these words. Trust, dwell, cultivate, delight, commit, trust, rest, wait. Just Where's the focus? It's on the Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you every hour. I need you right now. I need you to lead me. I'm not willing to live in self-deception. I'm not willing to cover and hide sin anymore. I want all of you to be inside of me. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, Feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.